So we're going to look at uh, Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26, and 38 through 48. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Verse 38, you have heard it said, that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall, love your neighbor and hate, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you call us your children. Uh, we ask that you would help us to see Jesus tonight in this passage, that you would give us eyes to see him, ears to hear him, that you would give us the ability to look beyond ourselves to him. Um, would you do that by your spirit, we pray. Amen. So this past uh, Saturday, I had a, an experience I've never had before, and I sat in the student section of a Penn State football game, and nobody outed me as old. It was awesome, okay? And it was a great game. Penn State got demolished, destroyed, ground them into the dirt. It was amazing. But there was this girl sitting in front of me. Jack was next to me. Jack is in all my football stories, apparently. And uh, we're about halfway through the first quarter, maybe, if that. And um, I'm, you know, shaking my shaker. And this lady, this girl turns around. She grabs my shaker and she says, are you serious? Hit me with it one more time and see what happens. I was like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? That was offensive. And instantly, I had several ideas of things that I wanted to say to her. None of them helpful. Uh, this passage that we're looking at is incredibly convicting for me, not just in theory, but on a daily basis, day to day. This is one of those passages where you realize that Jesus isn't just talking about people out there. He's talking about me. Uh, he's talking about you. He's talking about the reflexes of our hearts when we get angry. Now, last week we closed with Jesus' words where he says, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And it can sound sometimes like Jesus and Paul are sort of not on the same page when it comes to salvation. They think about it in different ways, maybe. After all, Paul says in Philippians 3, with his identity being in Christ, he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but I have a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. One of the things that Paul talks about all the time is righteousness, and he wants to make it crystal clear that there's no such thing as a righteous person. That is, somebody that the Father would look down on and say, wow, like they've really nailed life and done my law perfectly, A++, come on in. Right? That, that's, what, that's Paul's whole angle. Um, the law can't give us righteousness, okay? It's only by faith that we have righteousness, and it's somebody else's righteousness, namely Christ's righteousness given to us, imputed to us. And yet Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, and I don't think he's talking about how you get in the kingdom. I think he's saying what it looks like to live in my kingdom. You may never have a righteousness of your own, but I'm still going to grow you and move you in the righteous direction. Okay, so they're not at odds with each other. They're just talking about a slightly different aspect of righteousness. And so here's the real deal. The Pharisees have a law problem. And some of us have a law problem. Because the Pharisees think if we do the right things, then God will have to let us in. In the same way as if you work for an employer, he has to give you a paycheck. You earned it. You did it. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, he's saying to his crowd here on the mount, if that's how you think, you, you really don't understand. The law is actually meant to show you two things, your need. You're supposed to look at this and say, how in the world could I do it? You're supposed to cry out for a Savior once you see it. And then it is supposed to show you the shape of repentance. It's supposed to show you the paths of righteousness that he has called you to. The law cannot make you righteous, but it can show you the paths of righteousness that God is calling us to live on. It can show you what a righteous life looks like. It can show you what repentance is supposed to look like. So how do we use the law? It's got to show us our need for righteousness. It's got to show us our need for somebody else's righteousness. And then it can show us how to, how to follow him. In other words, we can never look at the law as if it were sort of a mirror and say, that looks just like me. I'm doing it. I'm really doing it. You cannot ever do that. Instead, we say, this looks a lot like Jesus. And Jesus intends to slowly but surely and very imperfectly make me look more like him. The law looks like Jesus. And Jesus is making me to look like him, but I will never fully look like him. I will never be fully righteous, but I must become righteous. So this is the Pharisee's problem. Instead of looking at the mirror and saying, ah, that's not me, help, God, help. They start to interpret it in such a way that they can say, oh, that's better. That looks like me. Jesus has a beef not with the law. He has a beef with the way that they're interpreting the law because they're interpreting it in such a way that its sting is gone. It no longer makes them think, I am sort of deficient. I'm poor in spirit. I've got what I need. Jesus' problem with the Pharisees is this. 
They have no need for a Savior. They have no need to change. And so this is what Jesus is really getting at when you see a couple times, you have heard it said. Because you can look at that and say, well, then he just quotes the Bible. Does Jesus have a problem with Moses? Does Jesus come on the scene to say, this Old Testament religion is really tough and it's a good thing I'm way more laid back about it. That's not what Jesus has come to do. He's come to say, you have heard it said. What he means is you have heard it interpreted by the scribes and Pharisees, the ones your righteousness has to exceed. You've heard it said and interpreted by them what it means not to murder. And then next week, what it means not to commit adultery. And later on, what it means not to do other things. If the law never convicts you, it will never lead you to repent. And it's meant to do that. Show us what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so it's helpful because otherwise, Jesus is pitting himself against the Bible. And he wouldn't do that. Now, he is the one who can interpret it for us authoritatively. I, the transcendent one, can interpret the transcendent law for you. I can tell you what it means because the Pharisees have done a terrible job of that. And then he starts with the most obvious commandment, thou shalt not murder. Now, why do I say the most obvious? Because almost everyone, regardless of religion, would say, oh, that morality we can agree with. That's the no-no. Murder is terrible. Right? And obviously it is. It's, it's taking life of someone made in the image of God. And even the Pharisees see this. I mean, and we see this today, how much we value life in some ways, because the biggest insult we can hurl at somebody is to call them Hitler. He's Hitler. She's Hitler. You know, the one who took six million lives. Guilty of this at least six million times. Like the worst insult we can give. They're Hitler. But Jesus says... It's not merely those who take someone's last breath that will be liable to judgment. It's also those who are angry. Because Jesus knows any action that we do is a natural outgrowth, outspring, I can't talk, it springs out of our heart. Any action that we do doesn't start on the surface, it starts in our hearts. In other words, Jesus is saying, this commandment, this law, it condemns everyone. Whether we acknowledge it or not, it condemns everyone. And so as long as you are angry with someone, you're violating this commandment. If you remain angry with somebody, if you nurse a grudge, you're violating this commandment. And there's a warning here for us, and all of us are tempted with this. There are people groups that we struggle with loathing, despising, right? If you look at resentment with somebody who votes for the opposite political party of you, they're what's wrong with this country. Ah, there's a warning here. If you look with resentment on those who kneel during the national anthem, or if you look with resentment on those who resent those who are kneeling for the national, you see what I'm saying? Nike, you know, Under Armour, right? Like, (laughs) there's a warning for us. If there's an ongoing resentment, Jesus says, if 
those like it's present tense and it's almost this idea of ongoing if you're angry not just the flare up that's bad but the ongoing resentment it's dangerous it's condemning we need a savior jesus also wants us to think about the words that we use when we're frustrated with somebody when we're describing somebody that we're angry with what kind of words do we use uh, the first word, the, well, it, ESV says, if you insult them. And I think the idea Jesus is going for is this sort of casual dismissal of somebody. Sort of wave off this idiot. Who is this clown? Who is this person I don't really need to take seriously? I'm not going to take you seriously. Like, you know the feeling that, no, no, I'm not doing that. And the second kind of insult that Jesus speaks is a kind of character assassination. The attack that labels them and judges them. You fool, right? You're, 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 you're an idiot, but you're also sort of derelict of moral character. I'm, ah. And so what are some of the like, labels like that that you might hear? And talking heads, uh, you know, rallies. You Bible thumper. Oh, it's ven- venom. Or you baby killer. You trumper. Right? You hear this sort of language that when you say it, what you're saying is you have no moral character. I can look down on you. And maybe you're thinking, I've never used any of those words. But the point is, we tend to think that the thoughts like that that we have and the words that we use to label others aren't that big of a deal. I didn't use a four-letter word. Hey, I didn't kill anybody. And Jesus is saying, exactly. You see, don't murder, and you think, I didn't kill anybody. It's more than that. The big deal, off-the-cuff comments that you and I say about each other, Jesus says, are actually big deals. He's calling us to evaluate our hearts. So here's a question. What are you angry about? What are you struggling to, even refusing to forgive in someone or some group? A group, maybe, has hurt you? A people has hurt you? A person has hurt you? What can't you forgive them for? And do you know that Jesus is saying in your own heart, the things, the hateful things that they did to you, he says your heart is capable of the same things. And you've done the same things. And do you know that you're capable of worse? And you might say, well, it's not that easy. I just can't forgive them. Or maybe it's not that I just, maybe it's not that I can't forgive them. It's just that, well, what? We want retaliation. We want justice. We want to get even. Which leads us to Jesus talking about an eye for an eye. Again, he's not pushing back against the Old Testament as if that were the problem. Do you know that um, when, you, when you see this sort of idea of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you see this law in the Old Testament, but it wasn't for individuals. It was actually for the judges in the Old Testament, and it was for the juries in the Old Testament. And it was incredibly gracious in that way because it kept things from sort of escalating quickly, Right? You stole my pig, I will kill your son, right? Like, no, 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 you can't do that. And when we enforce that judgment, the punishment has to fit the crime. 
right? It's not a lie for an eye, and it's not a child for an eye. It's an eye for an eye, and it's tooth for a tooth. Judges, juries, the, the punishment has to fit the crime. And so in that sense, it was incredibly gracious and sort of ahead of its time in that way because it reflects the justice of God. But now Jesus is talking about individuals living in the kingdom. What is he saying? Don't resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, if they poke you in the eye, turn and give him the other one. If they pluck out your eye, turn and give him the other one. If they take your tooth, open up wider, right? That's not what he's saying, right? And that's important, right? Because he's not talking about you're in physical harm. You're in danger. I'm going to go blind or be maimed if I stand here. He's talking about threats to your honor, which is what most of our fights are really about. If you've ever seen in old movies or even in like Bugs Bunny sort of making fun of old movies when someone sort of like takes off the glove and like slaps somebody, right? I challenge you to a duel, right? That's the sort of thing like slap. I'm challenging your honor. Incidentally, I, I looked up duels. Do you know that like those were like major parts? Like the, duels existed in our country for a long time. Like from 1798 to the Civil War, like two thirds of the people who like two thirds of the naval officers who died at sea died in duels. <laughs> like that's insanity to me. Even though we don't have duels today, and I'm glad, right? It's, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. We, we understand the duel. We understand them. When we feel like we have been insulted, we want other people out of our lives, don't we? Maybe I don't want to shoot you, right? And maybe I'm afraid that you would shoot me, but I will certainly remove you from my feed on social media or I will ghost them, or I will stop going to where I know that they will be. We understand the nature of, I have been insulted by you, and I want you out of my life. And Jesus is saying, as a Christian, that is not an option. What Jesus is saying is, with this whole, like, if someone slaps you, if they take your tunic, or if they won't take, make you go the extra mile, don't shut them out of your life. We're not to duel literally, but we're not to duel with them figuratively either. In other words, it's not fight or flight. Someone insults you, we don't fight them or run from them. Jesus is calling us to something altogether different. He wants us to pursue reconciliation. And maybe we don't fight, but that doesn't mean you don't confront gently and lovingly. Matthew 18 is actually all about that idea. Look at Matthew 5.23. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember, aha, right, you remember, that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. 
First be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. It's interesting there because we're talking about anger, and then later on we're talking about retaliation, but he doesn't say if you remember that you were frustrated with somebody, go and talk to them. He says if you remember that somebody has something against you, go and talk to them and pursue reconciliation. Which is really interesting to me because most of the time when I read that, I think of the people that I'm frustrated with, not the people who might be frustrated with me. Here's what's hard about that. He doesn't say, if you agree with the thing that the person has against you, go and answer them. It says, if they have an issue with you, go and pursue reconciliation. Which means, if you're like me, sometimes somebody will say, hey, Joe, what about that thing that you did that really sort of hurt my feelings? And I'll say, oh, no, you just misheard me. No, 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 that's not, that's not how that went. I justify myself, and I'm dismissive of somebody who may have something legitimate, because it's easier for me to see how they misinterpreted what I said than how they actually got what I understood exactly what I meant. So if somebody has something against you, Jesus says, take the initiative and pursue reconciliation. Now, it goes the other way too. Matthew 18, which talks a lot about how to confront somebody that is bothering you. It starts with, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him or her his fault between you and them alone. If someone sins against you, go and go and tell them. Don't fight. Go and, and tell them. And if you realize that somebody has something against you, go and reconcile. But whether you're the offender or the offendee, we're called to pursue reconciliation. So Christians are called to be quick to offer forgiveness and to receive forgiveness. You see this? And the reason is because God is quick to forgive us. When we see how much God has been quick to forgive us, of course we want to be quick to forgive somebody else. And if he's had to forgive us in the first place, then somebody else likely has to forgive us. Lord, forgive me for saying that thing to her oh, I should probably go and say, hey, you, forgive me for saying that thing. You understand? It doesn't make sense to go to one without the other. Don't go to God and say, please forgive me, if you have no intention of going to the other person saying, and would you also please forgive me? Christians are gracious with forgiveness because God is. And God is making his people like himself. Verse 44 Jesus is basically reiterating what he said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Actually, this is one of my favorite verses and we don't have time to get into it why it's my favorite, but this is the idea of common grace. When God says, love your enemies, you realize what he's saying here? Because God loves his enemies. God doesn't send rain on those who love him alone. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. He doesn't give crops to those he loves alone. He gives them to the just and the unjust. And he says, if you want to be like your father, 
then you have to love your enemies like God loves his enemies. And don't you remember once, once upon a time you were his enemy? And he loved you? And he brought you close to himself? And if he could love you when you were his enemy, you can love others when they are your enemy because he's making you like himself. Here's what Jesus is asking of us. Are we known as forgiving people? Do we lovingly confront those who have wronged us, or do we fight an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Would others describe us as forgiving or as demanding of justice? Do you listen to what others say about how you come across to them? Or do you justify yourself? You see, the Christian knows that he doesn't have to demand justice in every situation because he knows that God is a God of justice. What would your enemies say of you? Would they know how your life is marked by forgiveness or by how well you can hold a grudge? Verses 46 and 47, Jesus says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not the Gentiles do the same thing? In other words, if you're salt and light, why would you look just like those who aren't salt and aren't light? Jesus is saying, those who belong to me are different. They don't just love those who are easy to love. They learn to love the difficult because they know that God has loved them when they were difficult. Are we marked more by the forgiveness that we offer or by the grudges that we hold? Is God making us more like himself? Because that's what Jesus is getting at when he marks at this, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Um, Blessed are the poor in spirit, be perfect. You are not righteous in and of yourself, but God is making you righteous. He's showing you what righteousness looks like. Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Learn to forgive like your Heavenly Father forgives. Your Heavenly Father forgives so much, and He has dealt with the justice of it in Jesus Christ, and you are still holding on to so much injustice if you're the judge. Learn to love with the same love that your Heavenly Father has. Learn to forgive with the same forgiveness that your Heavenly Father has. We can't be perfect in and of ourselves, otherwise we wouldn't need Jesus, but He is making us more like Himself. Uh, Remember the girl I was talking about who grabbed my shaker? You know, hit me one more time and see see what happens. Uh, My first instinct was anger. And part of me wanted to be dismissive. And so my first thought was, I was like, oh, I'll just be like, watch the game. Turn around, watch the game. You know, that would not have gone over very well. Um, Part of me wanted to look her in the eye and say, I like my chances. Um, Part of me wanted to, after she turned around, talked loudly about her so that she would hear me talking loudly about her. Guys, I am petty with a capital P. 
And part of me felt attacked and hurt when she did that, and I just wanted her to feel the same thing. Um, and I was reminded pretty pointedly that peacemaking does not always come naturally to my heart. Justice demanding comes naturally to my heart. Pettiness comes naturally to my heart. Um, but thankfully, those are not the only instincts that I have now. So I didn't do any of that to her, um, thankfully. Um, because God, is, he's, he changes us, right? And, and I might be just as petty to somebody else tomorrow, and I'm going to have to ask God and that person to forgive me. Um, but what was I thinking in those moments when I had the moral high ground to be dismissive or hurtful or, or whatever? I kept thinking to myself, I'm right. I didn't do anything wrong. But then if you think about it, it's like, well, if you're hitting her with a shaker, you're doing something wrong, right? It's like, well, my motives are right. At least my motives weren't wrong. I had no intention of bothering this girl. What I needed in that moment, what I thought I needed in that moment was to be right. For her to see me as right and for me to be right. What I needed more than to be right in that moment was to be forgiven. Because my, my heart is murderous. Uh, and the Christian who is being made more like Jesus doesn't have to always yell or think, I'm right. And I will be angry to defend my rightness or to prove my rightness. I'll do whatever, it has to, I'll do whatever I have to do to justify my rightness. And the Christian doesn't have to do that anymore because Jesus never did that. Isaiah 50, verses 6 and 7, he's talking, Isaiah's talking about Jesus, and he says, I gave my, ba my, I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. How is it that Christians can keep from striking back when someone strikes us? When somebody hurts us, how do we keep from hurting them? When someone dishonors us, how do we keep from dishonoring them right back? We have to fix our eyes on the one who never struck back. We have to fix our eyes on the one who bore those lashes for every time that we did strike back. We have to look to Jesus who dealt with our sin on the cross and has been raised in glory and has promised to make us more like himself. And then we come to realize that it's not the acceptance of others that dictates how we live. It's not if I'm viewed right by others that's going to dictate whether or not I'm angry today. We realize that in Jesus Christ, God sees us as right. In Jesus Christ, God sees us as righteous, justified, and has nothing to do with what we've done and everything to do with Jesus. And if the king of the universe sees us as right, not by virtue of ourselves or our own lives, but by Jesus, well, then I don't have to defend myself every time. And I can check my motivations. And if you don't see me as right in any given moment, well, that's okay. Because God does. And that will free us to repent to each other. That will free us to acknowledge when somebody says, hey, Joe, when you said that, that really hurt my feelings. Well, you just didn't hear me the right way. Man, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean it. 
Or, actually, I was really frustrated with you. I kind of meant it. Will you forgive me? You see what the shift does. If you don't have to be right, if you're right in Jesus Christ, that actually frees us to pursue righteousness. That actually frees us to acknowledge that we're not righteous in and of ourselves. I can repent because I have a Savior. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Are we acting like peacemakers? Are we being made into peacemakers? Are you acting like a child of God? Or are we acting like something altogether different? Because Jesus says peacemakers are God's children. And in Christ, your heavenly Father smiles on you. Let that free you to become a peacemaker. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you call you call people like us your children, and we don't we don't deserve it. We certainly haven't earned it, and yet we demand from others what we think they owe us. Um, we're sorry, and we ask for your forgiveness. And we know that you are all too eager to give it. Would you make us a forgiving people? Would you make us those who offer and extend forgiveness freely because in Christ we are right with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.